Good morning. Grace and peace is ours when we look at our Savior Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith. May that be your grace and peace today and always. Amen. I want to talk to you about a a moment in worship when often life and the form of worship come crashing together head on. You're standing there like you will after this sermon to say the creed. And in your mind, you're thinking about in the last month, we've had a a madman kill 49 people and wound 52 or 3 others in Orlando. You're thinking about the suicide bombers in Istanbul that killed almost 50 people and injured over 250 others. And you stand up and you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. If you're a good Lutheran, you might be thinking about just briefly, for a nanosecond, the explanation that God is the maker and preserver of life. And life as you know it isn't really sinking with your belief that you stand and confess in the safe confines of our house of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And for just a moment, you think, I've got to get some time to think through the problem of evil existing in a world where I say I believe God is almighty and he's good. Maybe your mind doesn't work that fast, but you've had people question whether or not you really should believe in a God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It becomes even more personal and real when tragedy strikes a lot closer to home. The death of a spouse, a little child in your family, someone that you dearly love, that you pray for all the time, keeps falling into grievous sin. You know your own overwhelming temptations that you ask God to lead you not into temptation, and yet it's so overwhelming that it keeps coming back, whatever it is for you. And you think, I believe? I mean, do I say it just to be a good, outwardly worshiping Lutheran Christian, or do I believe it? I believe in God the Father Almighty, who's good, and there's so much evil in my world. It reminds me of a quote from, that I saw on YouTube from a Christian artist named Rich Mullins, who's passed on to glory now. Uh, he's a contemporary of ours. We've even played some of his songs. Our, our musicians are practicing some more of his songs to play for worship. He's the, he's the guy that wrote, wrote this song. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. You know that song? Uh, that song is really saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And before he sang it in this concert on this YouTube video, in his little talk, he says, if you want to find a God and a religion that makes sense, I suggest you don't choose Christianity. That's a pretty powerful admission, isn't it? You see, you, don't, you do not, this is a proclamation of Christianity, a proclamation of the Bible, proclamation in front of you right now. You do not find God through your intellect. You will not find him through rational thinking. It will always be 
through relationship. Not rationalism, but relationship. If you want to know the answer to the problem of evil, God will not try to answer it to solve your rational riddle on how could God be an almighty good God and allow evil in the world as you rationally evaluate it. But he will tell you relationally what happened and what he did about it. That's how the Bible goes from the beginning to the end. This is what happened. And this is what I did about it. And this is what I do about it today. And this is what I will do about it in the last day of time and the first day of eternity for all people. But it's all relational. So God says, when you open up the pages of Scripture, I created a perfect world, chapter 1. I created a perfect couple, chapter 2. Chapter 3, the devil came in and tempted Adam and Eve. And you might, if I asked you, What did he tempt them? Someone here would probably, first guess would be, to eat a fruit they were forbidden to eat. And that's not what he tempted them with first. He tempted them with the thought that God could not be trusted relationally. That God was worried that they would be like him. And that they needed to be God of themselves. To be like God and decide what is good and evil to experience life, and therefore they would be all grown up. And they believed the lie that God could not be trusted, and they brought that sin of trusting self into humanity. And that is the root of all sin, is trusting yourself and no one else, even God. And that was your mom and dad. The DNA and RNA that makes up all of humanity. The plan for God to create and populate the world with created people all rested in those two people, Adam and Eve. And they made themselves and everyone who would issue out of their lives sinful, selfish. It's always humorous to me now because it it was humorous when i've discovered it about myself we all think we probably have a problem with wanting to control the world around us individually more than most people and so it's humorous when one of someone will say you know i have a problem i'm kind of want to be in control of everything as if it's kind of unique to that person We all want to be in control of everything. That's the sin. Sometimes it looks so good because everybody has it. And so when we build churches, we control where you sit by putting big benches in rows. (laughs) And we all like that in a way. Or we want to control it and we don't like it. We wish we'd only had chairs. Adam and Eve fell into sin and so did all of us. And God was left with a choice. Destroy them. The way he said, you will die on the day that you eat of it, or restore them. And he had everything to lose relationally if he destroyed them because he loved them, relational. And so he walked into the garden where they were evil, almighty, 
awesome God, evil people. And he talked with them. And right there in front of them, he said to the devil who had messed up his relational plan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. The first gospel. Later, the apostle John would write, after he had experienced everything that Jesus did, the reason that Jesus came into the world was to destroy not people, but the works of the devil. See, God was left with a choice, destroy or restore, and he chose to restore. And he chose to restore by coming to satisfy in an incomprehensible, doesn't make sense way to satisfy his own justice by in his own child, his own sinless issue from his life, the only begotten Son of God would come and bear the sins of the whole world and bury them in that grave and rise again to say we're all forgiven. While people are still being born as sinful as Adam and Eve. And every single person that's ever born is born like this, shaking the bars of their crib. I want to be God. And God smiles at the little evil kid in the crib and says, my son died for you. And your time in life is a time of grace to find my love. And through what the Apostle Paul called the foolishness of preaching, God speaks his love through other restored human beings to little gods running around the planet you are loved, sinner that you are, and your guilt has been paid for. Come home to God. Now, I said all of that before reading the sermon text because all of that is behind these amazing words in Romans. If you've been around the Bible any length of time and you read your Bible, you've come across this Romans 5.8 and maybe almost started to like it as much as John 3.16. Paul's writing the Romans. He has not been to Rome, Italy. He plans to go, and he wants to start a church there. Actually, there's a church there. He wants to use their church and their friendship and their strength to start a church in Spain. And so he wants to tell them everything about his gospel. Go to page 9. This is Paul's point, and it actually answers the question of evil relationally. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, 7 and 8 are telling you, why would I say what I just said? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. People just love their own life too much. So when they see a great person, they, they're not necessarily willing to die for them. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It's happened with people. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still not righteous, not good, but selfish sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. Since we have now been 
declared innocent, justified by the shedding of his blood that God in Christ died for us, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What wrath is he talking about? The wrath that every human being must face against their sin on judgment day. If Jesus has died for our sins and he rose to life and he's sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us, alive with the Father, we will be saved from that day that we ought to be sent to hell through him because he died for us. And now, relationally, all evil has been rectified and people the worst of sinners, which are the, we would say, violent, criminal minds, have all been redeemed. Nobody is so sinful that they cannot be covered by the blood of Christ because He covered all of humanity. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and that was Adam, and death followed through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned but where sin increased though every time a new baby is born there's a whole bunch more sin in the world there's going to be more people who make the news by killing hundreds thousands maybe with an evil plan where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to quit talking grand, grandiose about these huge sins that happen where someone, suicide bomber, kills hundreds of people or whatever. It can, it can remain for the garden variety people like you and me an esoteric, scholarly, or skeptical debate about how could there be a good God, almighty good God, if there's evil. But it becomes a mighty struggle to believe in your own heart when that evil comes very close. There are two steps away from your life, very close would be, through the suffering and misery and death of someone that you dearly love. But the step that's the very closest is your own suffering and misery and death. And the truth is that a lot of us don't want to wrestle with the question of evil very deeply until we're forced to by our own mortality when we're faced with it, when we're forced to deal with it because somehow death is very nearby for us. And then the question, if you're a good God, how could you let this evil happen in my life? Very quickly threatens the relationship between a trusting soul and the almighty good God. Because if you're really good to me, Lord, and if I really am under your grace through Jesus Christ, why would I be dying like this?
truth is, is that most of us know rationally we're going to die, but we live in a functional, irrational hope that we'll continually keep escaping death. We're not going to escape death. We're going to escape death through Christ to eternal life and be raised again on the last day. Because we're sinners, our bodies are going to die. And they'll be raised sinless like his was. That's what Paul's trying to say. No, he's saying it. He's not trying to say it. He's saying it. And it is our great hope. It's our great peace. It's our great joy. See, it's not just a, a, a hard to defend reality that there's a God or Father Almighty that allows evil in the world. It's actually the main point. What he did with evil was put it all away on his son and buried it and gave us forgiveness and love. I didn't share with you the second half of the quote from Rich Mullins, that Christian artist, until now. He said, the first half I'll repeat, he said, if you want a religion that makes sense, I don't choose Christianity. Go choose yin and yang or karma or something else where there's a nameless personal deity. But if you want a, a faith that makes life, then he said, I, I think this is the one. Jesus Christ, God's Son, because He loved us relationally, bought us back and took all the evil on Himself. This parable I'm about to uh, read and tell you is very well known, but there's always in an assembly this size somebody who maybe hasn't quite heard it put this way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you again because it's very valuable. And it's, it's good to be repeated in the life of the church. It's a parable at, written by somebody after, after Scripture. But uh, it preaches the gospel of love in a, as a relationship instead of as a rational argument. It's called the parable of the train track switchman. There was once a bridge which spanned a large river. During most of the day, the bridge sat with its length running up and down the river, in the middle of the river, on a, on a single pillar, paralleled by both of the banks of the river. The bridge was made this way, allowing ships to pass freely for, out from sea inland past the bridge on both sides. But at certain times of the day, when a train would be coming, the bridge would be turned on that pillar by a switchman, so that trains could cross the river safely. A switchman sat in a small shack on one side of the river, where he operated the controls to turn the bridge and lock it into place as the train crossed. One evening, as the switchman was waiting for the last train of the day to come, he looked off into the distance, and through the dimming light twilight, he's caught the lights of a train. He stepped to the control and waited until the train was with, within the right distance that was prescribed by his boss, and he turned to flip the switch to make the big bridge go from parallel to across the river. If the bridge was not securely in position, it would wobble and shake, and the train would fall off its tracks, perhaps into the water. On this day, when he threw the switch, to his horror, it wouldn't lock, on the, wouldn't lock the bridge. 
This was a passenger train, and he knew it was the train in the evening that came sometimes to transfer the most violent criminals from one prison to another, and he valued their lives as much as any other life. So he thought, I'll leave the bridge turned across the river, and I'll run across the bridge to the other side where there is a a manual lever, and I'll operate it manually to lock the, the bridge in place. He would have to hold the lever back firmly as the train crossed. He could hear the rumble of the train now, and he took hold of the lever, and he leaned backward to apply his weight on it, locking it in place. And he kept applying the pressure to keep the mechanism locked, and many lives depended on him hanging on to that lever. Then, coming across the bridge from the direction of his control shack, he heard the sound that made his blood run cold. Daddy, are you there? He had brought his four-year-old son to work and told him to stay in the shack. But he looked, and to his horror, the son was running across the bridge. His first impulse was to cry out, Run! Run back! But the train was too close, and his tiny legs would never make it across the bridge. He almost left the lever to run and snatch up his son and carry him to safety, but he realized he couldn't get back to the lever. Either the people on the train or his little son would die. He took a moment to make his decision, and the train sped safely and swiftly on its way. No one aboard was even aware of the tiny broken body thrown mercilessly into the river by the onrushing train. Nor were they aware of the pitiful figure of a sobbing man still clinging tightly to the lock lever after the train had passed. I know, I know it's a parable. It almost doesn't even sound real. But for God the Father and God the Son, it was real. Is it any wonder that at the moment that Jesus gave up his spirit, that the earth shook, the world was dark, and there was thunder, where God the Father Almighty shouted with his almighty nature, I love humanity so much that I watched over the death of my own son so that you would be saved to get across to eternal life with me forever. Next time you stand up and you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, remember that it's a mighty Father's love that in the very next paragraph of the creed resolved all evil because he wanted to have an eternal relationship with every human being, even though every one of us should have been condemned. Amen.